everyone, and thank you for joining me. I'm Tracy Harris, and this is At Home in My Head, the podcast that explores life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. This week's episode is going to be a little less scripted and a little more conversational. When I started this project, I told myself I didn't want it to become an obligation. I hate the feeling of having to do things, especially something I'm not getting paid for that I'm supposedly doing for myself. I had pulled some notes together on what I wanted to talk about, and I still plan on talking about it, but I didn't have time to write them up at the blog like I normally do. Part of that is that I'm involved in a home remodel. So even as I sit here right now, I have floor stripper in the next room taking up my mastic glue off my concrete floor. The last couple months, I've been working on studying for a work certification that I had to get. This took up a lot of my time, and it was very stressful. But I did get the certification, by the way, so hooray me. Also, as I sit here right now, I keep thinking that I should be working on work-related things, that I should be going into my email and looking at my work email, even though it's a Sunday evening. With so much going on in my life, I really don't need to be adding projects. But I want to do the podcast. I spend a lot of time posting on Facebook. I've started spending more time posting on Twitter. But I feel like the podcast is a place where I can get a little bit more in depth. Part of the problem with it is that a lot of the opinions that I have are opinions on things about which I'm not expert and about which expertise is generally a good thing. So I try to always be honest about the fact that I realize these are just my opinions. It's just one voice in many voices in a large country full of diverse voices. And even when I talk about the things that are consuming my time, working on my DIY home remodel, working on the work certification, worrying about should I be doing work things, you know, do I have things going on that are obligations at work that I need to be taken care of even though it's off time, I recognize that the things I'm complaining about are very privileged things, especially during COVID when we have millions of people out of work, millions of people dealing with housing insecurity. I feel completely privileged to have the opportunity, I guess, to be concerned about work and concerned about my house. It's not an extravagant remodel. It is extensive, but I'm doing most of the work myself with friends. Even so, I understand how privileged I am to be able to call myself a homeowner and to currently feel secure in my housing. But with all that's going on, I still keep watching the news. Not like I did when Trump was still in office, when Trump was still tweeting. I am still sort of in the breathe mentality that I felt after the election. Uh, There was still some trepidation. I still had concerns about violence. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, and I don't know how valid those concerns are. I don't know if some of the issues that we've seen are going to go away. I don't know if there are still concerns to have. And I am still watching politics, just not as avidly as I was when we were in the middle of the Trump administration. That being said, I did have something that I noticed that I did want to talk about a little bit. I wanted to talk a bit about what happened in Georgia. I'm posting the link to a Georgia.gov site where Georgia is identifying and putting on notice groups who they claim were publishing misleading information or reported to be registering ineligible voters. Georgia was bragging in that notification that it provides for automatic registration, 16 days of early voting, and no excuse absentee voting. So they're calling themselves very progressive with regard to what they were doing during voting in COVID. And you can check out the link and you can read what they're claiming. You can decide for yourself. I'm not here to tell you whether or not the Georgia voting laws um, and their 
policies that they adopted during COVID were good, not good. I'm just saying Georgia claims that they are. This was Georgia's attitude. That extending more voting to people was something to be proud of. I think most of us heard the call between Georgia election officials and Donald Trump and his lawyers and team. Mark Meadows, I think, was on the call. A transcript of that call and a recording was released in early January, shortly after it took place. In that call, repeatedly, Trump says he does not care about particular issues of fraud, that he only wants to find the votes he needs to win. He raises issues, he's told by the Georgia officials that his data is wrong, and then he changes the subject saying, well, that's okay because we don't even really need those votes because there's plenty of votes elsewhere to put him over the top in other areas where he claims fraud has occurred. When new claims are rebutted during the call, he simply circles back to the old ones again. I'm putting a link to the full recording in the description along with a a link for the full transcript, but I did want to read one part of it. Brad Raffensperger is the Georgia Secretary of State. He was on the call, and he was the one mainly talking to Donald Trump and his team about the elections. In the transcript, he says, Well, I've listened to what the president has just said. President Trump, we've had several lawsuits, and we've had to respond in court to the lawsuits and the contentions of. We don't agree that you have one. We don't. I didn't agree about the 200,000 number that you mentioned. I'll go through that point by point. What we have done is we gave our state Senate about one and a half hours of our time going through the election issue by issue. And then on the State House Government Affairs Committee, we gave them two and a half hours of our time going back point by point on all the issues of contention. And then just a few days ago, we met with our U.S. congressman, Republican congressman, and we gave them about two hours of our time talking about this past election. Going back primarily, what, you, what you've talked about, you're focused on primarily, I believe, is the absentee ballot process. I don't believe that you're really questioning the Dominion machines because we did a hand retally, a 100% retally of all the ballots and compared that to what the machine said. It came up virtually the same results. Then we did the recount. We've got virtually the same results. So I guess we could probably take that off the table. I don't think there's an issue about that. Donald Trump responds and he says, Brad, not that there's not an issue, but because we have a big issue with Dominion in other states and perhaps in yours, but we haven't felt a need to go there. And just to, you know, maybe put a little different spin on what Mark is saying, Mark Meadows, yeah, we'd like to go further, but we don't really need to. We have all the votes we need. You know, we won the states. If you took, these are the most minimal numbers, the numbers that I gave you, those are numbers that are certified, your absentee ballots sent to vacant addresses, your out-of-state voters, 4,925. You know, when you add them up, it's many more times, many times the 11,779 number. So we could go through, we've not gone through your dominion, so we can't give them a blessing. I mean, in other states, we think we found tremendous corruption with dominion machines, but we'll have to see. But we only lost the state by that number, 11,000 votes and 779. So with that being said, with just what we have, and you know, with just what we have, we're giving you minimum numbers We're doing the most conservative numbers possible. We're many times, many, many times above that margin. And so we don't really have to, Mark. I don't think we have to go through each. So Trump is saying he really doesn't need to get into all these issues of fraud. He doesn't want to get into the issues of fraud. It's just, you know, there's so much fraud and there's so many things to pick from Georgia. Just pick some things and get me those 11,779, 780 votes. 
give me those votes that I need. That's all I really care about. I don't care about this fraud stuff. Yeah, maybe there was a fraud. I don't know. The machines, you know, could, could not. Some states we think. and But whatever. Just find the votes. Trump references a tape. He says it shows the election workers feeding ballots repeatedly into machines. The Georgia officials explain that there's no fraud and that they know the tape he's describing. They offer to share a link to the original video. Trump says he doesn't need it because they have a version of it showing someone feeding in the same ballots repeatedly. Georgia rebuts that they had local law enforcement, the GBI, and the FBI all look into the issue and that there was no fraud. Trump is undeterred. They then move into out-of-state voter claims. They simply jump from issue to issue, looking for something to stick, but never conceding that the claims are invalid before moving on to others. They aren't trying to resolve issues of election fraud. They're looking for some area where they can negotiate with Georgia officials to try to come up with the votes needed to overturn the election. As Trump says, they need less than 12,000 votes. And Georgia continues to explain to them that there just isn't any area of discrepancy, even combined discrepancy, that's going to give him that amount. They move to claims that ballots were shredded, and Georgia says nothing of the sort was done. And when Trump continues to bring up all the allegations thrown around on social media, Raffensperger continues to explain that they are baseless claims. Trump goes on for a while before circling back to his claim that the ballots were shredded, before quickly moving on to fake military ballots that the Georgia officials have never heard of. Trump reiterates that he has to find 12,000 votes. This is really what the call is about. And even when the election officials are telling him repeatedly that they've done thorough investigations and that the 12,000 votes are simply not there, mainly because these claims of fraud are not valid, Trump simply doesn't care. He refuses to believe them, and he just presses on. Trump circles back to the video of the ballots being fed multiple times, the same video the officials offered him a link to previously so that he could view the original, unaltered footage. Trump is focused on a claim that 18,000 votes were involved. He's fishing for those 12,000. And if he cared whether they were legitimately there or not, he wouldn't be pushing an area that he's already been told was investigated and that no fraud was found. All he wants to hear is that somehow, some way, they will be able to come up with enough of a discrepancy to overturn the election. He does not care about actual election integrity or fraud. Gabriel Sterling is Raffensperger's COO. He did a line-by-line rebuttal to Trump's claims in the call. He explained that if a ballot isn't read by the machine, a process is to cancel the entire batch of ballots and refeed them to correct it. In other words, there's a legitimate reason someone would be seen refeeding ballots into the machines as often as necessary to ensure that a single legal vote is not discarded. I'm providing links to Gabriel Sterling's rebuttal, both the video and an article, in the description. But more importantly, we saw Sterling out in front of cameras every day, sometimes more than once a day, providing transparency into the progress of the votes in Georgia. I saw him give summaries that even included corrections to prior totals, including explanations for why the figures needed to be updated. Georgia was transparent. They were thorough. They were clear. They were precise with their elections in 2020. They made every effort to be sure their data was accurate and to communicate frequently and clearly with the public in order to ensure confidence in their election process and results. And they understood the danger in undermining confidence in an election and also in a judicial process tasked with gatekeeping the election integrity in the event of alleged discrepancies. Telling people they've been denied representation and also are being denied justice and due process by corrupt courts, Sterling told us in early December that this would ultimately result in someone getting killed. 
On January 7th, just days after Sterling's rebuttal to the call with Trump, and one day after five people, as Sterling had warned, were killed after being sold on these lies that justified a violent revolution, Trump's team finally withdrew their lawsuits. It's no accident that the movement that claimed five lives in January used 1776 as a point of inspiration, a famous revolution justified by the same claims of denial of representation. Before the campaign dropped all their lawsuits in Georgia, however, they had lost many. They lost many lawsuits in conservative states, run by conservative governments, with conservative courts, and they ran into a brick wall with conservative election officials, who would have helped them if they could. They voted for Trump. Sterling said he voted for Trump, and even after his comment that these lies would get people killed, after people in his office, including him, were receiving death threats... I watched him on an interview the next day saying he didn't regret his own vote for Trump because he viewed the left as being even worse. On January 5th, Trump appointed Bobby Christine as an acting federal prosecutor in Atlanta. This was part of the bid to uncover election fraud. But on January 13th, after the insurrection, Christine was quoted as expressing shock that he could find no fraud existed. This is from an article link I'm including in the description. The newly appointed acting federal prosecutor in Atlanta said in a conference call with staffers on Monday that he was surprised to find the office didn't have any legitimate election fraud cases. Quite frankly, just watching television, you would assume that you got election cases stacked from floor to ceiling, U.S. Attorney Bobby Christine said in the call, a recording of which was obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm so happy to find out that's not the case, but I didn't know coming in. President Donald Trump installed Christine as acting U.S. attorney in Georgia's Northern District on January 5th after Byung Pak abruptly resigned. U.S. attorneys typically remain until the end of a presidential administration and often continue into new ones. The Wall Street Journal reported over the weekend that Trump pressured Pak, also a Trump appointee, to resign. According to the journal, Trump was frustrated that Pak had not launched investigations into election fraud in Georgia which election officials and independent experts agree does not exist. Normally, when a U.S. attorney resigns, their deputy takes over. But Trump selected Christine, who is also the U.S. attorney for Georgia's Southern District. Georgia's Northern District includes Atlanta, which has a large black population and is where Trump has focused his efforts to throw out votes. End quote. In an article in Savannah Now, It says that after the November elections, Georgia saw Senate seats threatened and support for Biden. This leaves the GOP with two options to stem the blue wave. Sell their ideas or make voting more difficult. They'll attempt to outlaw no-excuse absentee balloting, a law Republicans themselves implemented in 2005. They'll restrict or eliminate absentee ballot drop boxes made necessary in part by the Trump administration's fleecing of the U.S. Postal Service. They'll insist on new voter identification rules for those who are allowed to submit absentee ballots, and odds are they won't stop at requiring the absentee voter to put a number from his or her state-issued ID, something Georgians already do when requesting a ballot. And in fact, Georgia did take up election restrictions right after the elections. For a long time now, we've had a debate raging in this country. The left has asserted that voting restrictions were about suppressing the votes of marginalized minority populations. 
The right has insisted that election security must be protected against rampant voter fraud being perpetuated across the nation. So this is where the rubber meets the road on the debate between the motives of election security and racism. Has a state ever fought harder to say that their elections were free and fair and completely secure? Has a state ever fought harder to investigate allegations of cheating? Has any election ever been the basis for so many lawsuits and legal reviews of so many claims of fraud? Has any election process ever been so scrutinized as what we saw in 2020? And in the end, no significant problems or issues were found in elections where the left ultimately prevailed in the major races. And what is Georgia's response to suggest more restrictions be imposed on voting? As Savannah now put it, they had two choices, sell their ideas or make voting more difficult. They've decided to go with making voting more difficult. The University of Illinois has a great course on Coursera called Race and Cultural Diversity in America, Life and History. In that course, in section 1.5, Fear of Multi-Ethnic Democracy, the instructor quotes regarding a study. He says one of the most comprehensive studies on the subject found only 31 individual cases of voter fraud out of 1 billion votes cast since the year 2000. This was for in-person impersonation, for example, where voter ID would theoretically have an impact. Additionally, in the 2016 general election, election officials rejected 8,247 mail-in ballots because the voter appeared to also vote in person. That was approximately 0.00006% of the more than 135.5 million ballots cast. One of the restriction initiatives is around voter ID. In an article at Mother Jones, an author ponders why people believe claims of election fraud, despite the fact that there is very rare instance of voter fraud. In the article, they say, Of course, had I bothered to look, the information about this was hiding in plain sight. According to the respected Brennan Center for Justice at the New York University School of Law, 7% of the general voting public doesn't have adequate photo ID. But those figures rise precipitously when you hit certain groups. 15% of voting age citizens making less than $35,000 a year, 18% of Americans over 65, and a full quarter of African Americans. So we have no evidence of fraud, and we have a great deal of evidence that a large chunk of the African American community in the United States does not have access to adequate voter ID. When I was looking online for information about this issue... I did come across a recent study that called into question whether voter ID laws do alter election outcomes or not. I thought about doing more research into that claim, but then I realized it's a distraction. It fails to address the question of why these laws would be promoted and supported in a situation where a state like Georgia is going to the wall to insist they don't have any fraud problem. Why enact further restrictions when you're insisting that you just had the most secure elections ever. I guess I would submit that even if the result was not actual suppression, that doesn't erase suppression as a motivation. All that would matter would be that people in power have evidence to make them believe that it would make voting more difficult for minorities. And such evidence exists. We can argue later about how well it works, 
But what we don't have is an honest claim of concern about election security when the party proposing the new restrictions has just done a yeoman's job of proving the elections are secure as can be. When even the candidate who is laser-focused sends in his own investigator to blow the lid off of the cover-up, and that investigator comes out surprised to find no evidence at all of any fraud. So even if someone wants to deny this is about suppressing minority votes, they have to, if they're honest, drop the claim that this has anything at all to do with election fraud. It's often a way to shut down a dialogue to flippantly assert that your adversary refuses to be swayed by any evidence. But in this case, anyone suggesting that fraud is the motive behind the right's fixation with tightening voter restrictions really isn't open to adjusting their perspective based on evidence. All of the evidence in Georgia points to a safe and secure election. None of it points to fraud that will be mitigated with new restrictions being introduced. It points to a party losing ground that is more interested in disenfranchising voters of the opposing party who are disproportionately minority than their empty excuses about election fraud. That's it for this episode of At Home in My Head, exploring life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay safe, be well, and never stop exploring.